this is Sophie Hagen, and you're listening to the Mopad, the Made of Human podcast. I am in uh, Prague at the moment. I'm recording this on my phone, so the sound quality might be a bit weird, uh, but the actual chat with Avery Edison is going to be fine. Uh, so I apologize if this is a bit annoying. Um, I just quickly want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. In like. Thank you for listening to to an extent that I can hardly describe as in I you know I on a daily basis I get emails from you guys from you listeners where you prove yourselves to be fucking amazing but at the same time I receive all of these emails from the people I've had on as guests and they tell me that you know that the the, the response they've gotten from you listeners has been amazing like like they say that people are so nice and you know you're coming to their shows and you're complimenting them after their shows and saying that you heard them on on this podcast and and i don't care how many we are like how many people listen if that's what if that's people's perception of the mopad that is incredible i'd rather have you know the the the, the ten thousand best listeners in the whole world and you know a million so so kind of people you know so i want to say thank you for being awesome because that is uh just 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 really overwhelming so thank you for that uh thank you to all of those of you who went to patreon and uh decided to donate a fee a fee a gift a dollar a five dollars whatever it is you donated uh it was very very nice of you to to go and do that uh it, it really really helps a lot i have this fantasy where like i really want to there's so many people living in new york and well i guess la as well but there's so many people in new york that i so want to speak to like oh i really 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 want to talk to them and a lot of them have already said yes so my I have this fantasy where I'm gonna one day go there and just book like three days, you know, interviews front to back, come home with like 10 interviews, 15 interviews, just uh, of the best, the best kind. I'm gonna try not call them interviews because I'd rather call them chats because I talk as much as the guests, so I don't think it's fair to call it an interview. Yeah, so, so your donations would, I mean, would help me do that. I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, it's fine. It's no, you know, it's uh, there's no pressure, uh, not at all. I mean, you're already being so lovely, and if you could spend those money that you would spend on a donation, if you could spend those on tickets for the shows of people who who have been on as guests, that would be equally good. You know what? I trust you. It's fine. Um, yeah, I'm in my hotel room in Prague. Uh, I checked in went upstairs a show was going on downstairs it's the Prague uh, comedy festival and uh, I saw a few people that I knew but I didn't make eye contact so it was like oh, okay I can I can pretend to have discovered them later and then uh, I went up and I just kind of put on some some makeup and just kind of tried to look like I hadn't been on a plane and then I went back down and I just stood quite close to them and they were eating and I, I still pretended I hadn't seen them, and it just got so weird and awkward. And I was like, I, well, now I can't suddenly turn around. And then what if they just say, oh, hey. And then I'm like, uh, oh, God, uh, I need to go. So, so after I'd been standing, you know, fairly close to that table for about 15 minutes, I was like, I can't. I can't do this. And then I remember that I had to, to edit this 
episode together. So I was like, oh, that's a fair excuse. That's a good reason to just bail out of the social situation and go to... I mean, because every time I'm in a hotel, I usually have a double bed. And I mean, I live in London, so I live in a teeny tiny room and I have a, what, a single bed. So this is luxury. This is amazing. Anyways, this is... I mean, this is beyond rambling, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> if you're new to this podcast and this is the first episode... Yeah, this is it. this is it. This is what it is. I think I have a, a um I think I figured something out about this podcast and it is you won't like it if you don't like me. <laughs> like even if you love the guest, if you don't like me, I mean you're going to hate this. I really hate this. So uh so I I assume since you're still listening, you you either do like me, thank you, great taste, or you hate me and you hate listening. And I can't blame you for that. I have podcasts I sometimes hate listen to. It's not healthy, and I think you should stop. And uh, and I'm going to also try and stop, but uh, uh, I, I, I get it. I get it, and I love you too, as much as the people who like me. That was a lie. <laughs> uh, right, so, Avery Edison. I love her. Like, I really love her. Um, I'll tell you why I... Uh, one of the reasons I really wanted her on, obviously, so it gets a bit dark. Uh, I want to say trigger warning. We mentioned suicide. Um, she she's incredible, uh, and I, the whole we talk about the way we met and stuff, which is which is one of my favorite stories. Not hers, not one of hers. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> she has higher standards for for stories, but um, she did the guilty feminist podcast, which some of you will have listened to which is, uh, she talked about uh, boundaries, and she was incredible. Uh, during the recording, she said, because uh, she, she talked about this experience she had in a Canadian airport where, uh, so she's transgender, so, she, but, so she's, uh, she's, a, she's a woman, but she was put in a man's prison because, uh, because she's uh, transitioning, or she was transitioning. And um, <clears throat> it was this horrible story, and it, 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 it really... Uh, sad and all of that and then after she said that she said uh yeah the <laughs> she said police police aren't human uh in a kind of a jokey way but also in a way where you know i i think we're in a world right now where it's safe to say that uh you know i think we can all say fuck the police and then we know what we mean you know we the, the police have fucked up enough all around the world that uh we can say that, and people know, you know, hashtag not all police officers, but, you know, and I, uh, you know, Deborah, my co-host of the Guilty Feminist, was very shocked, and she was like, no, 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 we can't say fuck the police, and I said, and she asked me if I agreed, and I said, well, my uncle is a police officer, and I fully 100% agree, he is a proper asshole, so yeah, fuck the police, and it ended up being me and Avery kind of joking around uh, with this fuck the police thing kind of somehow somewhat meaning it you know in in the tone of people who've been let down by someone they were uh they've been raised to trust and who then completely let them down in in i mean me not as all as bad as as what happened to avery but also just on a larger scale you know i think we know enough about the police to uh to to justify saying you know what fuck them so uh, anyways that 
uh, it was a very very long episode so that uh, the fuck the police bit didn't make the final cut and i was like oh man i really loved i really loved the fuck the police bit but <laughs> i get how it might not have been the funniest uh, bit of the whole conversation so i wanted her on my podcast and i wanted her to say i, I wanted to ask her the question in three words can you sum up how you feel about the police and i never got around to to actually asking her that because there was so much other stuff to talk about but uh but you know that only gives an, an excuse to come back the second time and just do a whole episode called you know what fuck the police um also i'm on tour i should have said that at the very beginning sophiehagen.com i'll be at the soho theater in london uh i will be in denmark in february in Aarhus, Odense, Copenhagen, and Olbo. Uh, and I am still, I still have a few tour dates left in places like Aberdeen, Crawley, Harlow, uh, Lincoln, Oxford, Maidenhead. Ah, I know I'm forgetting one. Oh well. Come and see me there and at the Soho Theatre. If you come and see me at the Soho Theatre, use the discount code SHIMMER16. And you'll get two pounds off. Very, very important. Very important. Please do that because 16 pounds is too much money for anyone to spend on a comedy show in which I am. So do that. And um, yeah. Right. This is beyond what I usually ramble. This is eight minutes. I'm a, it's like it's Mark Marin up in here. Um, thank you for listening. And uh, I will uh, come back and say goodbye to you after you've listened to the chat between me and Avery Edison. But until then, please do enjoy. You wanted to be a director? Yeah. Um, yeah, and I, made, I made a couple of short films <gasps> in high school. I don't know if, I, if you could call them short films. One was I just hang, hung out with my friends for a day in a local park and uh, I had my camera rolling sort of the whole time and then I just cut it all together into a sort of narrative but it was mostly just us being idiots and then I put a song behind it and it was just three minutes but it was really fun and I enjoyed it and then the other one was um, this thing I called Fun With Microwaves where <laughs> I um, basically stole from uh, uh, do you know Adam, Adam Buxton Joe Cornish they, it rings a bell. Adam, Adam and Joe, they have a show, I think, on XFM now still. I think they still have it. But um, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, they had a show on Channel 4 called The Adam and Joe Show. And it was just bunches of little sketches, sort of. Uh, and one of them was just them putting things in a microwave and destroying them. Oh. And so, yeah, I straight up lifted that because I was obsessed with Adam and Joe. And, uh, yeah, so I, I put... Um, I think I put a carrot in there. And Ooh. if you break a carrot in the middle and then put the two ends sort of close to each other and then yeah. microwave them, it'll start sparking really? before it catches fire. I don't know why. <gasps> well, then, would, aren't, wouldn't that ruin the microwave? Well, yes, but I hated my mum, so I didn't really care if I broke her <laughs> microwave much. <laughs> yeah, so it's just me destroying... The the microwave seemed fine in the, fine in the end. I mean, I, I, zapped, I zapped a CD... And that can release gases and stuff. So maybe there was noxious gas hanging around our food for a couple of weeks. But <laughs> why did you want to be a director? Where do you think that came from? Um, I thought 
I always thought of myself as very funny and entertaining. And I wasn't. I definitely, I, I wasn't at all until I was like maybe 19, 20. But in, in high school, I thought it was, yes, just hilarious. <laughs> and yeah, I liked making things for other people to see. I was, um, I took drama in um, for GCSEs and then A-levels, which are the ones where you can choose what subjects you take. Um, and yeah, I just wanted to, to make things for people to see. And I, you know, I, I still do. I had such a, I, when I was 16, I had so much what I thought was integrity. So I made a, uh, a documentary about mm. following this boy band Westlife. And it was meant to be 20 minutes long, but uh, mine was 22 because I was like, there's no way this could be cut down. It'll mm -hmm. ruin the art of this documentary. And that was why I didn't get top grades for it, they said, because I hadn't followed the instructions. But I was like, there's no, we couldn't have lived without the, yeah. like, the bloopers after the... Uh, <laughs> yeah, the bloopers are the best part. Bloopers was the best. And I remember feeling so just shat on that they didn't allow me to make my art uh, 22 minutes instead mm. of 20 I was like this is they would never have happened to did you, Quentin Tarantino did you have like a long credit sequence as oh, well oh so you have long trimmed that no there's no written, way written by it was quite Sophie important. directed by Sophie just <laughs> thank you to your name over and over thank you to Sophie <laughs> for getting me through it it was so long I really I really loved it yeah I made um, I like I burned that my my shorts i burned them onto dvds and like i got a special you know dvd burner just to do it and then printed out dvd covers that looks like well, i spent must have spent <laughs> days in photoshop like getting it perfect and um i think i made like 10 of them my my hope is that i get extremely famous obviously. Yeah, obviously and then the few friends that still have those copies will be rewarded for their yeah their patients they can sell them off my first my first proper artistic work I found uh, no that's a lie I haven't found yet but I know it exists a tape that I recorded when I was 13 of my very own rewritten cover of um, Atomic Kittens I Can Make You Whole Again wow. except mine was called I Can Make You Horny Again which doesn't work because it's not the Smart. same amount of Smart. uh it's not <laughs> it doesn't work in contact mm. but the, and I really try it wasn't like a jokey thing I really tried to sing it in the way that the time we couldn't sing it it's out there somewhere that tape it exists I in in music class in I don't know year year eight or nine I remember figuring out um just kind of like the chord progressions to um, Uptown Girl. Oh, yes. And then writing a parody that, again, it doesn't fit, it doesn't <laughs> scan. But because I, it, I was at boys' school, um, and and so we were all just puerile idiots. So, uh, yeah, I changed it to Lesbian Girl. Um, <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. And then a couple of years later... <laughs> it doesn't work at all. A couple of years later, I was in comprehensive mixed school, um, mixed genders and I had a friend named Charlie who w who was a lesbian and it blew my mind and <laughs> did you sing the song then? I yes one time I like when when she came out to us I sang I said oh my god I have a song about lesbians and I sang like that opening bar and then as I was doing it realized 
Like one, not only is it pure hell on its own, but two, that's not. No, that's not what you should be doing when someone just comes out, and like I can still feel the horrible shame oh of that God. moment. But you did it in the moment, right just, after. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Because okay, she and then going, she gave da, me this da, da. this withering look, <gasps> and that actually happened twice with her. And I'm very, I'm very thankful for them. There was another time she was talking about she just bought a um, book it was like a diary but every day was filled in with things that you you should do and there were mad random things Um, like wear wear odd socks today and I don't know Um, and yeah and she was talking about it and I I interrupted and said oh my god yeah I saw that in a bookstore once like like that was a contribution to the story and um, and she just again just looked at me with this withering look and said, "Yeah, no one cares," and you just interrupted me. <laughs> and just yeah, that was a big part of me realizing that not everything I thought in my head needed to be said. And this was way too late. I must have been seventeen. And there was another. There was one more situation like that where I was I was in history class once and. Mr. Deramo, uh, um, uh, I think it was from, from somewhere in the Netherlands or Austria, maybe, which is different. I don't know. Yeah, Anyways, <laughs> Mr. Deramo was talking about uh, Stalin and talking about how Stalin used to have his face projected into the sky. And uh, I just interrupted and said, like, Batman. And everyone laughed, which, you know, it's the obvious thing. But sometimes, you know, in yeah, class, when you say the obvious college. thing, everyone. Yeah. yeah. And then the laughs die down. And I just went, Stalin patrol. And then there's no laugh. Because that's not, that's like halfway to a joke. But it's not enough to just say it. No laugh at all. Like the lingering remnants of the other laughs just completely drop dead. And then this guy, Stuart Cox, behind me just goes, he does this every goddamn time. Just ruins it. And like... I get like I can feel my cheeks right now the shame of that moment of realizing about myself I do I'll do a funny thing and then take it too far and I need to learn to rein that in and um and I didn't for a long time uh I you know I still you, mean, I still you made a living off of it didn't you <laughs> uh, in, yeah hopefully in theory um but yeah so those three those three things are constantly with me anytime I say anything like am I saying something completely irrelevant am I being rude by saying it and am I killing my own joke yeah <laughs> Stuart Cox and Charlie Hill will live in my brain forever just telling you that mm-hmm. you're ruining everything oh but you're meant to do that though when you're a teenager aren't you just say the worst things yeah I really I look back and I don't, I don't know how much of it was um, so I don't know if you'll have said this in the in the intro, but for listeners, I'm a transgender woman, and so you know I, I grew up trying to fit in with other guys in school and stuff, and I just said the most vile, misogynist, horrible things, and you know my friend group included girls, and they just must have. I can remember like the the disgusted pitying looks they would give me when when I would make a, a joke about sexual assault or something. Right. And I just I'm so 
thankful and in awe of the patience they had, I guess. Yeah, but a lot of it is, must also have been, I don't know about in your case, but like in Denmark at least when I was young, because I did the same thing. Mm. For me, it was just a case of very internalized misogyny of just going, you know, you, you, if you get taught that women are inferior, I, I, maybe it's just quite natural for some people to think, oh, then maybe I can just join the superior. Maybe mm. if I can just be one of the guys, I can be one of them. And then if I just talk like them and say these things, then, you know, maybe I won't be that inferior, mm. you know. And I think it's, it's, well, we know it's quite normal for, you know, a lot of women to have that thing. Of going, yeah, for no, sure. Oh, I'm not like those, I'm not like those girls. Like, I don't yeah. care about stuff. I actually don't like hanging out with girls. Just something about guys just feels more comfortable. Oh, like, God. I read, I found my old diary. <laughs> oh, my God. I was such an idiot. And at one point, I was writing this whole passage. I must have been, I was 15 or 16 when I went, oh, I just hate the other guys in my school because they keep saying that blowjobs is like sex. And it's not because I would totally give like a blowjob to like anyone. Uh, and that's not like sex. That doesn't make me a slut because I just want to, uh, why, I don't understand why women wouldn't just give blowjobs to everyone uh, all the time. It's just like a fun thing to do. And I was like, oh my God, get over yourself. Get over your 16-year-old self. And I think like maybe six months later, I wrote, um, oh, they were right. this this, this just a very simple succinct diary entry this feels a lot more intense than I thought it would (laughs) they were right my entire life was a lie I knew nothing well I had the same with um, and it's not like a shame thing where I can't believe I was this bad of a friend Uh, I found like three uh, different diary entries that came uh, with maybe four months in between the first one was me writing Oh, so I met up with and then a name of a friend. I went met up with my friend, and she came out as bisexual. And then the next line was me writing, "Ugh, doesn't she get enough attention?" <laughs> wow. And then four months later, it was like I get this weird feeling in my stomach when I live with Christina. That's weird. Is this like liking a boy? And then four months later, it was like she kisses amazingly, <laughs> and just my little journey from like oh to going. Oh, girls. <laughs> girls are so hot. That's really lovely. nice that you've got yeah. Yeah, a record of that. Yeah, it's quite... And I feel... I, I, I was, but I was awful. This is really embarrassing. I think this might be very wrong. We were playing a game. I don't know, even know if this is just... Like, in our friend group. Uh, what was it called? Pandora's Box? Where... Hmm. It's like a drinking game. And everyone would put little notes with like challenges or questions into a little box. And then we'd take turns taking a note out. And then it would say, like, uh, we'll tr- whatever, drink a shot. Or when did you lose your virginity? Or something like that. And then we'd answer or whatever. Mm. And uh, so I put in three notes that all said, kiss Christina. Just like hoping I would take one. Triple your chances, yeah. yeah. So she kissed a lot of people that night. <laughs> but I got the last one. And I was like, yes. And I was, which is, it feels kind of wrong. Is that wrong? No, I think the the when you when you enter that game, you know it's gonna be a lot of sexual things, and also like I don't know, are we gonna are we gonna relitigate the consent issues of your of a game you played as a teenager? <laughs> I just want you to justify my actions. Or yeah. feel better about myself. I think you're okay. I think yeah? you're okay. I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so too. I think it's fine. If yeah. not, I'm I'm so sorry. And it's you know. <laughs> That was your teenage self who wasn't even really a, a person yet. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mean, do it today. I wouldn't carry around yeah. a little box and go, hey, why don't you uh, try and pick a note from this? What does it say? Kiss me? Oh, that's weird. When I when I get those embarrassing memories or whatever, it's I, I try so hard to remember the, the thing of how, like, you know, teenagers' brains literally aren't 
developed fully. Yeah. And like, it's it's wild to me that we we ask teenagers to make so many decisions about their future. Like in the UK, you're you're choosing your GCSEs at the end at the end of year nine. So you're how old are you? I can't even do the maths. Fourteen, maybe fourteen, fifteen. Wow. And. And your GCSEs will influence the A-levels you can choose two years later. And then the A-levels you choose limit what you can take at university. So you're making these life-altering decisions at 14, 15, sending yourself down this path. And the part of your brain that makes decisions doesn't even work correctly yet. So, yeah, I try and bear that in mind, like, and look upon my past self more kindly. And obviously, you know, being a... A transgender woman and having bipolar disorder and a major depression back then like I, I try and give myself a lot of leeway but at the same time like if I dig up my high school diary it's just the most vile abhorrent stuff about everyone in my life and I was just yeah clearly in such a broken angry place are you in a better place now? Mm. was that a yes? Uh, <laughs> that was a uh, sound um <laughs> I try to be. I try to be in a better place. Uh, I don't know. I'm still. I, I still get very angry at things, and I'm I'm somewhat fueled by anger. But uh, I also try to. I don't know. You listen to the right podcast, and then for a couple of days, you your mind is maybe attempting to live in a better place for a while. But it always, you know, it's it's constant. It's constant effort, right? Yeah. Um, do you know the... Ugh, this is such a... Like a... Cliche, not interesting thing to talk about. But uh, do you know um, David Foster Wallace's This Is Water speech? No. So he gave a, he gave a commencement address at uh, Kenyon College. Um, so he's the author of um, books like Infinite Jest and... Um, the girl with the something hair I forget Um, multicolored hair I want to say and he gave this talk about basically just being just being mindful and trying to live in the moment and be aware of the fact that everyone is fighting their own battle and that everyone is their own um, protagonist Um, which is a thing that I make make jokes about a lot The, the feeling that I'm the star of the movie that is the universe Mm. and it being so hard to remember that for everyone, everyone else in the world, you're just a a background character in their life and that they, I think, I think one of the hardest things about being a person is remembering that everyone you interact with when you're interacting with them is having just as complicated an inner life as you are at that moment. Um, and yeah, I try and try and bear all that stuff in mind, but at the same time, I am constantly trying to escape the pull of the idiot thirteen-year-old who said Stalin Patrol when the joke was already done and everyone else was ready to move on. You know, you're constantly trying to improve upon your past self, right? But a lot of it is is I guess acceptance the hardest thing about having all these like for me is like anxiety and I guess depression will always be part of my life you never really feel like oh I'm now I'm just never gonna ever be depressed again Mm. because it's still there and you know how it feels and you're constantly afraid like oh it's autumn oh here we go and 
a lot of it is having that for me it's really hard to go oh this is just how it's going to be mm. you know not accepting you know oh, things are going to be shit forever but it will always be a struggle or it will always be an effort that I know some people fortunately don't struggle with and sometimes that just feels unfair like mm. five years old you know lying on the floor refusing to get up kind of unfair where you just go I don't want to go to school today kind of unfair it is it is unfair and and sometimes it's I don't know when you encounter people who don't have any experience with depression and who when when you say like I've been really depressed recently the way they interpret that is oh so you've been been sad like mm. yeah I get sad sometimes mm. um yeah it can feel unfair but I know I think the the, the basic hardness of the universe and being alive is so all-encompassing and overwhelming that you know if if it, everyone is is like at a minus 10 I think and if you have mental health issues you're at maybe at a minus 10.1 10.2 but you're still you're still all doing this incredibly hard thing and 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 especially if if you haven't had depression then the saddest you've ever been without it becoming depression is still, yeah. that's the saddest you've ever been. And it's still a horrible thing. And you've, and you've dealt with it. Um, you know, it's, it's relativism, right? Like everyone. Yeah. 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 There's, uh, yeah, yeah. there's no, there's no, sh you know, there's no, no one, you can't be like, I've had it harder than you. Yeah. That's crazy what you can. And also that wouldn't, that shouldn't make you feel better <laughs> to go. No. You know, my life was worse than your life. I, but I remember, I think, the most recent time I got an anxiety attack, I felt... I, I, think, I think I realized that I don't... Uh, that I always forget that I have it. Mm -hmm. So even so, if I'm not reminded that I can have this, every time I say I have anxiety, I feel a bit like a fraud. I'm like, yeah, but you don't. You're fine. Like, right now you feel fine. You can't be like, I have anxiety when you're functioning right now. Yeah. And then when I get the attacks, I go, oh, you're not fine. Oh, it was right. Everything you told people, it's true. You're panicking right now because there are too many people in this restaurant, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know what I wanted to say with that. Um Oh, can we do our origin story? Okay. Why do you look at me like that? I don't know what that means. Oh, is that not a word? Um, no, I mean, it is. But wh what does it mean in this context? <laughs> like, how did I get my superpowers? I, no, how you know. we met. How we met. Oh, how we met. Yes, yes. No, yeah, you're right. I do. <laughs> you look at me like I just said Stalin power. Yeah. Stalin no, control. okay. Yeah, origin story. Because <laughs> um, I love, I, I love, I have a, th I think in my head, I've. it's again like a relativity thing where... Uh, in my head it blows my mind that one day we'll be 70 years old and we will then regardless of what happens we will have known the people we know now for that many years so mm. in context of everything like, I love I wanted to start this podcast every single time with how I met the person I'm talking to okay. that has proven to not be a good idea because <laughs> people are very nice so when you start saying so remember when we met, they'd go, oh, you did this amazingly funny set. And you go, oh, this just sounds like I wanted you to tell me that I'm funny, which I do, but not when it sounds like I'm asking for it. Okay, so what happened was, I don't remember how or why, mm. but I found you on the internet. Yes. I want to say v Vimeo. Is that what Vimeo, it's called? Yeah. Vimeo, 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 yeah. Vimeo. 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 I found you on Vimeo. It's because I'm going to edit this. How, so da how dare like you, how like you mispronounce this made-up word? <laughs> 
Why am I correcting you? Yeah, so and, call it whatever you want. And I don't want to, I don't want to, of course, we're not going to tell you a joke, but you did this amazing joke, which I admittedly have told a lot of people, not as if it was mine, but like, to, whenever I mention you, I go, listen, this is how I met her, and it's going to take a while to get through the story. Uh, and it was so funny, and you were the first person I'd ever seen to do a joke about something that was horrible, like so, like a bad life sure. situation. And then I found your email address, and I don't know why. You shouldn't have your email address on the internet, because people can just write well, you randomly. Yeah, I, um, yes, believe me, I know that, yeah. <laughs> and I wrote you the most gushing, fangirly mm -hmm. email. And it was lovely. It was lovely to receive. It was basically just a diary entry going, mm -hmm. I'm going through all these things, and I'm trying to do comedy, and you've changed my life now, and I don't know what I'm going to do with my life now, and you're really great. And now we're here. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> it's Yeah, it's pretty... Yeah, and then we actually... So that was back in 2011, right? Oh, my God. I think. Yes, I think so. And then we only just met in person, like, maybe half a year ago at yeah. a Global Pillage recording. Yeah. Which is an excellent podcast and live show that listeners should... Definitely. Oh, they'll out. know. If they know me, they know Deborah, and they know all of her podcasts. You know, you, you, think, you think that's true, but then there'll be, there'll be someone who that's listens true. to the show because they saw a retweet of a retweet of someone mentioning it yeah. and they'll they'll be completely disconnected from everything every right. other thing that you do they'll be like who's Deborah? yeah who's <laughs> like, Deborah? i'm not telling you <laughs> no yeah global pillage recording i just think it's really interesting because i you lived in canada uh yes i, I thought you were canadian no until i'm not you you judgingly looked at me and said you thought i was canadian <laughs> See, th this is this is the terrible thing about about me hearing this this origin story is I'm so incredibly mean and standoffish to everyone. Like, there's no <laughs> version of "Oh yeah, I met you. It was wonderful." It was like, "Yeah, I met you," and then a, a pregnant pause. Um, you were lovely. You answered very lovely. Very uh, the lovely email? Yeah. Oh, I'm sure I did. If 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 I answer people's emails, I answer it very nicely. I think, but the the main problem is I've. I have not answered an email in what must be about 10 years. I, it is impossible to answer email. No one's ever done it. Um, same with <laughs> I direct, I, I, direct messages, Facebook messages. Oh They've, they're just, we send them out into the ether and then never get a response. That <laughs> well, must be how it works. Do you get um, like emails from people you don't know basically mm -hmm. saying what I, what I said or worse? Um, I don't get so many emails about comedy stuff anymore. Um, but that's because I uh, don't really do comedy anymore. Um, I get I get a lot of emails from people who are trans and about to come out or have just come out and want advice or just want to say that I helped them. Um, and that's you know that's always that's always really nice that people look to me that way. Do you, um, do you feel equipped to help? No. Oh God, no. Right, because I get a few. Not in like because we do the guilty feminist podcast, so a lot of people get in touch with their like really awful things that has that are happening to them or has happened mm. to them. And you kind of want to go. I mean, you can give advice as a human, as if you know, if a friend said the same thing, I could say what I wanted to say. But you kind of go, I'm not. I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I don't know how to do this either. You know, we're all just kind of trying. But I also know. Sending an email can be a help in itself, mm. going, oh, my God, I've told someone. But it is really difficult being, you know, because to them you're a role model. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. 
because I should not. I shouldn't be anyone's role model. But I mean, that's no one. No one should be anyone's role model, yeah. right? <laughs> um, and it's and it's strange because the the Avery that you sent an email to and that other people sent an email to is like she's she's a completely different person from the person that I am because in, internet Avery is point zero zero one percent of my personality and my output and my existence in the world like she's she's mostly the very best of myself that I cut off and put out for other people to see and it's really easy to do that with the internet and then everything that's terrible about myself it happens and I just don't broadcast it obviously Mm. so you know that's people are emailing the the platonic ideal of Avery and then it's it's very hard to work out how much in the response how much you just try and work from that idea of the person you are that they have and how much of your real self you put in there because I'm sure I'm sure if someone emails me to say you're a role model or an inspiration or you've helped me come out and and thank you so much and they and getting an email back it's like oh no I'm I'm terrible I didn't even get out of bed today that's nice but you're wrong that's not helping them so you've got to somehow figure out a, a way to say you're right I am an inspiration and I'm glad you have something to work towards without just saying that because that is a ridiculous thing for any any human person to say did you have anyone like that? <laughs> well, that's that silence of me. That, that that's Avery going. Hmm. No, I have no <laughs> one. I'm my own inspiration. Uh, no, I was trying to figure out if if this person counts. But in that in that video you watched that um, was on Vimeo and is still on Vimeo and. It's a set from 2011, and it's maybe the best stand-up I'll ever do. And uh, it's all behind me, all downhill from here. Um, (laughs) That set was so incredibly, hugely influenced, and is maybe a straight rip-off of um, Stuart Lee's work, particularly the first season of um, Comedy Vehicle. And for, for a long time, his his stand-up and his uh, writing has been something that I've aimed towards. And it feels bad. Like, I should I should have other people, like women, uh, <laughs> because, you know, I'm supposedly supposedly a woman. Um, it says on my passport. Um, but, yeah, just the, the intellectual clarity and the... Um, self-awareness and the awareness of others and the constant striving and the 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 subject matter he's prepared to like that's that's why that's why I want to be one day um and yeah and yeah most most of my role models in that way are uh, comedians uh Maria Bamford again is a huge like I think that that stand-up video, uh, that four-minute set, set of mine, it's it's mostly, like, it's 45% Maria Bamford, 45% Stuart Lee, and then there's, like, 10% of me in there. Um, 
But still your story. It's still my story, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think and I think it's absolutely it's vital for people who are starting comedy um to steal not jokes but the the persona or the style of other comedians. Because oh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's hard enough coming up with just actual jokes without having to have a, a perspective or a or a persona yeah. or a way of performing. Um, that stuff will obviously come as you keep performing and little bits of yourself will creep out. But um, yeah, like if you need to, if you need to rest on the, um, I was going to say crutch, but I think that's uh, ableist. So I don't want to say that. If you, if you want to stand on the shoulder of, of Stuart Lee's act to, uh, to get your own jokes and your own thoughts out there, then I think that's yeah, important. Because sometimes you just have to get the laughs. It's one of those things you can't really practice it alone. Mm. You kind of have to be on stage. And if you don't have, if you just don't know how to speak yet, you kind of have to take on someone's voice. But, you know, you're not making money off of it. You know, yeah. you're not going out there, you know, actually no. doing his material. I think that's quite normal. I, I, I would get it. I was very, I was very easily influenced when I was young, uh, new, new in comedy. Oh, I, it was so embarrassing getting comedians to be like, "Can you stop that?" Like, I don't know what I'm doing. They're like, yeah, you're trying to be that guy. Oh god. <laughs> I, I think I was very lucky because I was living in Toronto at the time, and uh, as as popular and important as Stuart Lee is over here, mm. he's barely known in in yeah. the U.S. I think uh, the U.S. and Canada. And like, if comedians do know him, they probably just know him off of the episode of WTF with Mark Maron that he was on. <laughs> um, and so I was very lucky to be able to steal the innovations and uh, <laughs> amazing things he does and put my own words in that format and then do it on stage and, you know, blow people's minds in <laughs> Toronto and get booked. Like, I got booked on a bunch of shows off of that video. Um And I think it's ended up hurting me long term, not because I've still relied on that style, although I still am very influenced by him. And I think it definitely shows on stage. Um, but because the last few years I was in Toronto, I didn't I didn't have to do open mics or anything. I would just I would get asked on shows a couple times a month and I'm the type of stand up where don't need to work out and act on stage I mm. just I write it at home and I memorize it and I do it uh, and it's perfect the first time every time mm -hmm. um, and so then when I moved back over here like oh no one knows me you know uh, I, I have nothing no proof of me being good and you know and like anyone else I would have to start on the that bottom mm. rung of the open mic circuit and stuff again and I, I did that a couple times but as someone who yeah suffers from depression and, and anxiety and a terrible work ethic um, it's just it's not something I've been able to make myself do to go out and go through all that and so yeah so I basically don't do stand up anymore um, I have so many questions first of all do you miss it yeah absolutely yeah what How did you end up in Canada? Uh, so I had um, a girlfriend um, and later fiance who lived in Albany, New York, 
and who I met okay. when she followed me on Twitter back in 2008. And then a few months later, her parents flew me over there. And uh, for like the next year or so, I would keep flying back and forth because they, they were fairly comfortable money-wise and that was something they could do for her. And we wanted to get me over there more permanently. And so I tried to get a, um academic visa to um, go over to America and I got rejected twice in two of the worst days of my life. Okay. Um, and so we're like, okay, what's the next best thing? Let's go with Canada. Um, the closest would have been Montreal, but Toronto had this comedy uh, diploma program. Oh. So, yeah, I went there and I did that for two years. I dropped out just before it would have finished. Um, and then stayed. I extended my visa for a little bit. And then when that expired, I continued staying there for eight months because I had uh, a different girlfriend by then who lived in Toronto and who I'm still with now. Um, yeah, so I was there for about four years. Oh, you moved for love and comedy. Mm. <laughs> yeah, pretty well, much. Because in my head, because I don't hear accents, I, I can't tell them apart. So I n never would have guessed that you yeah, were my, Canadian. My accent has been completely messed up by... It's, it's embarrassing, really, because, you know, I was I'm born and raised um, in, in the UK... Uh, I grew up in Dorset, where the okay. accent is much more of like a sort of West Country farmer type accent. Okay. And then I worked hard to make sure I didn't get that growing up. Um, and I, I think I used to just be a pretty bland British sounding person, um, like BBC dialect movie, you know. Uh, and then I moved to Canada and, you know, four years, that's nothing. And now I've come back and it's my accent is just this complete mishmash of... I know some people think I'm I'm Irish or wow. uh, I got Australian the other day. It's yeah, it makes no sense I and like it changes that. from That's day to day. Fine, I yeah. can't tell them apart. I don't know. Yeah, would you? I get this question a lot because I talk a lot about my anxiety on stage. Mm. So I get this question a lot, which I don't know why it annoys me. And now I'm going to ask you. So I don't know. This is like you know, pass it on. Uh, uh, people seem to be confused about the. And people with anxiety wanting to be on a stage mm. how do you usually like justify that action to yourself I think um, I think this is a very common thing and people might have even have said it on your podcast before which is just that it's really nice to be in a room with a lot of people and be in total control and Yeah, I can I can go and do that. I can be around other humans, which is a good thing, I think. But I don't have to expend the emotional energy of engaging and interacting on, on a person-to-person -person basis, uh, which sounds sociopathic, maybe. But, um, mm -hmm. yeah, sometimes it's just hard to be with other people. And, yeah, it's really satisfying to make a room full of people laugh. Um, I definitely didn't get a lot of uh, attention as a child and that's a big part of it um, which is again so horribly cliched but cliche for a reason right yeah it's nice it's nice to be in control so much of anxiety is about not having control and worrying mm -hmm. about the consequences of the chaos of the universe upon you and at the same time worrying about 
the limited choices you have for the amount of control that you do have and the right way to expend them. Right. Um, like which, yeah, which decision do I make in this moment? I can't, I can't choose. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to just sit here and be anxious about it. And when, yeah, when you're on stage and you're exercising control in a very specific way, it feels, uh, it feels good to be making that decision and, yeah, doing I'm well so glad it. I can relate because I, I didn't know because that's exactly my experience as well. But I didn't know if that was you know my reason for doing it or my you know just the thing that I had in my head. Mm. But it makes sense if that's like I'm just basing like the two of us now. That's like everyone. Yeah, everyone's like us. And I think it's world. pretty common. Do you get when you're if you're at a plate like a, for example like a sandwich shop and they mm. want you to choose like what lettuce to have in your sandwich? Mm-hmm. Does that freak you out? No, because I. Uh, rehearse it oh. endlessly and just have it yeah but what if they down. catch you off guard and you're like looking and then all of a sudden you have to choose well I I have some food issues so I never it's the same thing every time oh. and I don't have a lot of like if it's a Subway for instance it's a foot long uh, chicken breast on hearty Italian with double cheese toasted no veg no sauce no anything it's incredibly oh, bland I like my food really bland <laughs> um, and yeah, having that so locked down in my head, and also back before they, back before it became company edict to arrange the cheese, uh, one upright, one upside down, one upright, one upside down. Yeah. So they interlock. I used to carry around uh, like a piece of paper with that drawn on it because really because that's the most efficient way to get the cheese everywhere, you know. But um, well, to show them, yeah. Oh. Because if you just say, "Can you tessellate the cheese?" Uh, sometimes people don't know the word. Tessellate. Tessellate. What yeah. What does that mean? It's when shapes can perfectly interlock. So, like squares can tessellate, circles can't, because there'll be Whoa. gaps between them when you. Yeah. Do you think that might be the reason they've done it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Someone's I, called in and gone. Yeah. No, I think she, so, she was one, here yeah, again. One of the staff members saw my diagram. I went, that's sent that brilliant. up to head office. Someone got a promotion off of my work. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. Because I'm, I'm, that always ca- catches me off. Because I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to do that thing of being mindful and mm. going, what do I feel like right now? But I don't, I can't think that when someone's asking me something. Because mm. then my mind goes into panic, and I'll, I've so often stood with something that I don't like, I've never eaten before. Where you go, I've never liked, never liked this. And why am I? Because I've just panicked and pointed at something. Yeah, I, I'm so restricted in my... And I, I think it's an anxiety thing as well of... I I really enjoy Pizza Express a lot. And yeah? I go there and order the same thing every time. What do you order? Uh, it's just a classic American. But okay. also Doubles to start. It's mostly about the Doubles for me. But the Doubles are amazing. Um, they deliver now, do you know that? Uh, yeah, with delivery, yeah. right. I'm outside the catch now. <gasps> I'm, so I'm over in East London, mate. They're not oh, going to send out okay. delivery drivers there. That's where the drivers bloody come from. <laughs> um, I just say, I'm in Streatham. I'm not like central right. London, Westminster. All right. <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I have the same thing every time. And, like, if I... It's not an inexpensive proposition to go to Pete's Express, but if I go there and I order something different with, you know, different meats or vegetables or whatever on it, and I don't like it, that's that's a nightmare scenario yeah like not only will i not be nourished because i can't eat this thing but i've wasted this money 
and I'm mad at myself for choosing the wrong thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I have such anxiety around food that I, I definitely lock down and, and control it a lot more. That um, makes sense. Yeah, but I'm happy with it. The dough balls are really nice. The dough the balls Ameri- are so good with the garlic, uh, oh, the garlic, garlic butter. Mm. Oh, who invented that? It's, 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 it's so fantastic. Good. It's like so good. And pretty easy to make at home. It's one of the reasons, and this might sound ridiculous to some people. I, I think you might get, maybe you get it. It's, it sounds like such a bad excuse. It's the reason why I'm not really into fruit. Because mm. fruit is so inconsistent. So like a bag of blueberries, is, yeah. it, like it, it makes me so anxious. Because you never know how, they taste different. They That's all a really taste good point, different. Yeah. And have this different texture. And it really makes, it genuinely makes me anxious. Like apples, mm. you never know the taste. You ne- Bananas are okay, because they almost more or less, t- they all taste the same more or less. But like blueberries, apples. Yeah, clementines. As much as I love a good one, like oh, it's a, it's. I think like a good clementine tastes better than most food in the world, but you never know, mm. and that freaks me out. Yeah. Whereas like like fat, uh, factory made wine gums that are like disgusting and sugary, but you you can count on them. Yeah, they're always going to be there, tasting the same every single one. I haven't I haven't traveled much, but I went to. Um, New Mexico for three months when I was uh, 19, I think. And, you know, New Mexico is right on the border. There's so much incredible uh, Mexican food. And I had none of it the whole time I was there. I actually walked uh, 10 miles there and back each day uh, across the desert to get to a nearby Subway sandwich shop. Because, yeah, yeah, it's reliable. It doesn't taste very good. But it's the same every time. And... I don't know, my, my girlfriend Romy makes fun of me because she's very uh, happy to experiment with food and um, like she'll, she, once once or twice a year, she'll call me and tell me that she just went out and got oysters and I'll be so annoyed because I know she's going to be sick the next two days <laughs> because it's so, you know, it seems impossible to get good oysters. But I'm just, I'm comfortable now. I used to be ashamed of it, but I'm comfortable now knowing that there's so much risk and uncertainty in the world. A lot of it makes me very uncomfortable and I'm not good at handling it. And I've managed to lock out a large chunk of risk and uncertainty from my life. And that's a, it's, it's a coping strategy and a good one, I think. Yeah. So how do you deal with stuff like relationships? Because I think that's one of the things that make me panic that I don't have control (laughs) over Mm. the other person which makes me sound like I'm not a good girlfriend which is probably true but because that freaks me out you never know Mm. there's another person yeah it's tough um I think being being in a codependent relationship can help there so where you 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 know that the other person has similar um psychological needs to you oh, smart. like uh i don't know this is this is pretty dark and um uh trigger warning for suicide but romy and i are both um uh depressive people i have bipolar disorder but spend most of my time depressed and she's had just lifelong depression and anxiety and we both spend most of the time desperately wanting to kill ourselves and um and we know that we can't because if if we did the other it would probably put the other person in such a tailspin that they killed themselves and we don't want that you know and so that kind of interlocking um psychological fragility is obviously it's an unhealthy 
relationship maybe I guess in clinical terms but at the same time I'm still alive and so she and and that's uh, as a small part of it so it's a good thing well, I think, yeah, like you said with coping strategy I think a lot of it is you know it, you, you could so easily get someone saying oh that's unhealthy you should stop that and you go oh I mean do please offer an alternative yeah, that would fix this sure. right now a lot of these things are where you know staying in bed a whole day because you mm. can't get up might seem ridiculously <laughs> unproductive and like that won't help anything but Oh, then tell me how I can leave my house. Yeah. You know, is, is there a pill? <laughs> Just let me... That makes sense. I, and then, I, yeah, you're right, it's dark, but it makes sense and it's the life, isn't it? So yeah. I need to find someone who's equally fucked up in the same way. Mm-hmm. If anyone's out there listening. <laughs> and also, you know, and... Yeah, and obviously just if, if, you, if you have a need anywhere that's going to make a relationship difficult, I think vocalizing that and letting the other person know that A, that that's a need you have and B, that you're aware of it being a need Mm. Um, self-awareness is one of my biggest things, most of my anxiety comes from worrying that people won't know that I know I'm terrible Yeah, I don't don't want to be uh, embarrassed or, or caught out by that or seen as to be embarrassed at choir um it's one of the reasons i had to i think that i stopped acting because if you're playing a, a silly character or something i i need to be constantly stopping to be like i know this i know i look silly right now and i know it's weird to yeah. pretend to be another person when i was at um the college in in toronto studying comedy we had a, a clown class uh clowning and mime and we started the semester by the teacher saying okay everyone stand up close your eyes and visualize a ball of clown energy coming towards you and it's going to come towards you and you're going to absorb it and then you're going to become your clown and I was so terrified just watching this ball come towards me because I didn't want it to hit me and me become a clown and do silly debasing exaggerated ridiculous things because it just even amongst a room full of other people doing it, I would worry about looking ridiculous. I would worry about being silly the wrong way, like somehow messing that up. And I, I, I started crying. I, um, yeah, I was weeping. I had to leave the room and I ended up like, I got special permission to not do the clown stuff just because it, yeah, it was just terrifying to... Oh, it um, sounds terrifying. Yeah. And again, I think that goes back to with the stand-up, the the, the control aspect. Yeah, I was about to say that, that that's... Yeah. I mean, because I, I think that might have been what stand-up was in the beginning for me. Like, mm. I got to go up and be like, oh, I know all these things about myself. And I, I'm mm. not only am I so aware of them, but I'm so okay with them and cool about it that I'm going to make jokes about it. Yeah. And then you kind of preempt the things that they might say. So that makes a lot of sense of just going, because I have the self awareness as well. Like I'm, just, and it's like it's almost, you know, when you meet someone who has no self awareness, and mm. it almost feels like freeing in some way. Not freeing. Cause I don't it, know. It it infuriates me. Yeah. I my 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 thought is just like how how could you not how could you not know? Don't you know this terrible thing you're doing to yourself by not being aware? Do you think it's a terrible thing to do up. to yourself? I mean, probably not. Because most people seem seem to exist 
fine. Although, am I now saying most people aren't self-aware? Again, I don't know because yeah. I'm not in their head, right? Most self-aware people seem to be but unself-aware people. But because it's my nightmare to see someone else living that nightmare, you know? Oh, It'd yeah. be like if I saw someone else being being chased by, like, Freddy Krueger and they were super calm and chill about mm. it. And I, you know, I'm breaking out in hives and just <laughs> going like, oh, my, don't you see? Don't you see? You could die at any moment. Yeah. Um, it's terrifying. Yeah. I, I really, I find it hard. I find it really, but I'm not... Part of me is really grateful that I am self-aware, but that's because you have this voice in your head going, then you can constantly improve, and mm. then you know that you'll never you'll never hurt anyone because you have everything very planned out, and you know exactly what you're doing and why you're doing it. It's tough to... I, I, think I, I think I want to correct myself and say, I don't know if I'm self-aware or if my massive self-consciousness is getting passed off in my brain as self-awareness like if that's the oh, you way know, you don't know if you're right about yourself yeah oh, oh. yeah oh like, that's a terrifying it's like thought. if someone if someone with massive body dysmorphia who right. was underweight was saying oh i'm i'm self-aware i'm very fat yeah. like no that's not self-aware so it's it's tough to oh know my god you can't know the things that you feel self-aware about yourself are in fact self-consciousness because it's impossible to be oh an impartial God. observer of yourself right that is terrifying which is the real nightmare of human existence oh my goodness yeah i yeah to be able to step outside for myself for a day and just really take down everything what does you have put me into like an existential crisis now? sorry <laughs> who am i oh my god do you think other people do you think a lot of people worry like this i mean i have to assume again like yeah, we've all got the same brains structurally and we all live in the same world. I, And again, it's that thing of, on a visceral level, I would say no, because most, most other human beings don't actually exist. They go away when I close my eyes. Right. But yeah, be kind. I, I everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle. Everyone, everyone has this complex inner life that yeah must that must be host to if not the same anxieties then similar enough yeah but don't you ever sit on like the tube or the bus or wherever mm -hmm. and you sit in front of someone who's you know just dressed in this like super fitting expensive outfit and their hair is like flawless and there's their makeup is flawless and they're reading like a really thick book and it looks really intelligent and you just kind of and they look so confident and calm mm. I, I build these whole stories in my head about these people just going that person must just have figured it out and they oh, know for sure. and they, there's nothing how are they not self-conscious how are they not scared how are they how did they figure out how to wear that or how to dress like that how to I see those people and I constantly want to ask what what does it feel like to be beautiful and know you are beautiful because you must like they must know right but you play that scenario out in your head <laughs> the person doesn't go oh it feels it feels really good <laughs> they go no i'm not i'm not beautiful because mm. yeah no one there's there's so many things that society uh tells us we can feel bad about Mm. That even if a person does think, for example, you know, like, yeah, I do have, I, I have good skin and I can go around living with that in my head and not have to worry about that. There will be something else to worry about, right? And it's, 
yeah, again, it just, it, it always comes back to remembering that, yeah, ev everyone is subject to the same broken brain that oh, we, we all have. This puts me back to, to like, three of the most shameful moments in my life like we started talking about shame maybe mm. it's a good way to end it because uh, I was like obsessed with beauty when I was a teenager like probably teen like 15 year old I was so and I, all my essays would be about how like beautiful people just just idiots or fuck them or, or, and they're just so beautiful and they're stupid all of them and um Uh, my teacher wanted me, gave me like a special report where she said, you have to write this thing called the downside of beauty. And I almost punched her. I was like, that is the worst thing. I've. Uh, there are no downsides to beauty. And I, uh, so for this uh, assignment, I had to interview, you know, conventionally beautiful people. And I had a friend who was a model, or like an acquaintance, she was a, a model. She was my age as well, so like a teen model. And I asked her, and I, I, I was very like hostile, and I was a bit like, So tell me about your easy life, huh? And she just went, I, you don't understand. I would kill to have your brain. I'm st I feel stupid. I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm bad at this and I'm bad at all. Everything at school, I'm flunking every class. Mm. I didn't choose to look like this. I just happen to look like this and I'm using it because that's how it works. I'm a model and I make money from that. But I would kill to just be intelligent. And I was like, oh, I'm sorry. I've been an idiot. And then I did it again a few years later where another model, I spoke to her and I was like, I did some kind of hints of like, oh, your life must be so easy or something like that. Uh, I, think I, I think I did something about, it was like a self-deprecating thing of being something like, oh yeah, and I'm just sitting here looking like shit while you look beautiful. And then she told me her whole life story, which was not a nice story and how, you know, the modeling was her only way out of poverty when she was a child and her mother was on drugs. And I was like, oh no, I've done it again. That time I did it. <laughs> in December because I wanted I was making a sketch show that never happened fortunately and uh, one of them was they wanted me to talk to people in the street so I wanted to do that thing of because I kind of I've, I kind of assumed that that was what now I knew that that's probably what these conventionally beautiful people were going to say mm -hmm. so I would interview conventionally beautiful people in the street and say on a scale of 1 to 10 if you had to go by like beauty standards where do you think you are because I kind of wanted people to see the human side I wanted them to see like a model person saying oh I think I'm a 2 so we can all get together and agree that none of us are happy with ourselves and the, it's a system that's flawed and I asked this like one of those beautiful women I've ever seen in my life and I was like what do you think you are on a scale of 1 to 10 and she just went Uh, I just came back from working with uh, with young girls who had been victims of female genital mutilation. <sighs> so to be fair, I haven't really given it much thought. I was like, oh my wow. god! Wow! Oof! Oh god! I'm so, I'm the worst person in the world. No, that's she she knows the context she's in right then, <laughs> and to to answer that way, unless I... unless it was completely, you know, un, un like was was just the top of her head response there's there's something a little no like, she felt she, right, she felt like she literally just got off the plane yeah like with all of her memories and all of the baggage and then some idiot asked her like how pretty are you <laughs> and her head she was like go fuck yourself and you're shallow <laughs> like obsession with other people's beauty can i can i ask do you think Your teacher giving that assignment, the downside, did, was that specific to you or did yeah. everyone get that? So, no, that was me. So do you think she'd read your other essays 
and like because thinking about it, it must have been so obvious to everyone oh, around yeah. you that that was the reason you were writing these oh, things yeah. right oh yeah she was she knew. so she was trying to instill get some empathy into you maybe yeah she wanted me to know that it's not that but that's do not you think it way. worked i don't know i think it pushed i i remember writing that assignment because i and i asked so many conventionally beautiful people and it was i did it did work it did get i remember there was this really beautiful guy and he's he it took him so long to open up because he was like this is awful i don't want to talk about it and we talked for a while until he said i i have there are so many amazing women that i know that i can't be friends with because every time i've been friends with these women they fall in love with me and uh and yeah i, I, I made that face i was like oh. mm. but that was his reality and he was so honest and open about it, and he was so vulnerable about that being a fact and he, he mm. you know he felt like an asshole for saying it and i was like you know what that is you know the same with pain and everything being relative that that must have sucked for him the mm. fifth time he had to say I'm sorry I'm not in, I'm not in love with you mm. because you're ugly that's probably what he said that yeah. son of a bitch well you got yeah you can't let him down easy you got to really yeah. make sure they know there's no chance at all yeah <laughs> it's um it's weird do you know the 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 hedonic treadmill no I don't um, think so so it's the thing of of like basically it's a highfalutin way of saying you'll never be happy like because if you if you really want a car and you finally get a car you'll be like okay but now you want a fancier car or a faster car like you'll you'll never you'll never get what you want you'll never be satisfied there'll always be something more it's and like yeah another cliche of of like the grass always being greener right and it's such a cliche because it's such a basic truth that we will always want more um and it's like, and talking about this, like other other people being beautiful, like I I absolutely do not consider myself to have any attractive features or anything. Like I I I, I hate my body so much, and it's very difficult for me to to leave the house and walk down the street because I just feel so abhorrently disgusting, like I'm sticking out like a sore thumb, and it's and it's awful. But I but I also know that. I, you know, I post, I post uh, selfies that are obviously carefully, you know, edited and a thousand bad pictures to get the good one, blah, blah, blah. And then I also, I sell naked uh, photographs and I have a lot of other transgender women who are early in transitioning or haven't even transitioned yet or, or even far along and just not satisfied with the way they look due to a lot of uh, the secondary sex characteristics that come with uh, male testosterone-induced puberty and that will be hard to lose. And they look at my photos where I'm I'm relatively uh, feminine normative with a lot of my stuff, um, a lot of the way I look. And I know that for me, me saying that I look disgusting it would would be to like if i were to hear um like i don't know it's hard to pick an example karen gillen from doctor who it would be like if i heard her say something terrible about her appearance like no you're a former model like one of the most beautiful women as far as i'm concerned that's ridiculous and how dare you how dare you feel that way and it's you, you know getting getting emails like the ones you sent me can be a reminder of 
not just in terms of physical appearance, but in, you know, where you're at in life or the things you're creating that, like, yeah, the exact way you would be furious at someone you consider above you for thinking negatively of themselves. There are probably so many people who could consider themselves below you and, yeah, would just be furious at me looking in the mirror and thinking, oh, I look a bit mannish today. Like, yeah, again, it's, you know, this is water, everyone you meet is fighting hard about, like, just trying to constantly live in the state of relativism and remembering that stuff. And then needs to, in the in the whole body confidence, body positivity, beauty, whatever it's called, there also needs to be room for that because I've heard a lot of people say that there's a, a massive pressure because as soon as you start saying, I don't look so good today, mm. a lot of people pile on you and go, no, 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 you're beautiful, you're beautiful, you're beautiful. Well, you have to go, yeah, but also there's a certain expectation and a certain pressure on you and you, you do see all of these beauty whatever adverts and stuff and sometimes you just you feel like shit and you you know because my initial reaction was to go you know and you knew that was coming you knew mm. that was in my head of going no no don't say that no you're beautiful you're absolutely amazing but all, there also needs to be a like a silence after that and go it's yeah it's that because is we, how it, there's no there's no way I think or it would be odd to say instead of ugh I'm so ugly today that what you should be saying is there is a standard influenced by a lot of factors from societal pressures to my own self-esteem there is a standard to which I hold myself and think I should be able to attain and I am very far below that standard today mm. or I feel like I'm, I am and then the other person to say well I know you have that standard and I and I can visualize what that standard would be but as far as I'm concerned that standard is ridiculous or or doesn't need to have an impact on the fact that today you 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 look great to me and far surpass any any standards I could ever think of for you like there's no there's no way to say that and it would be weird to say all that And so we end up with, oh, I feel fat today. You're not fat. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah Because we don't, we don't even understand half of what's happening when we, like, I haven't watched TV in maybe six years. And then whenever I go home and the TV is on, and all the adverts, you just you can feel it making an an impact, mm. which you couldn't when you watch it every single day. And mm. you go, there's so much within us. There's so much that we don't even know we're thinking. Because we only what, are we only like ten percent aware of our thoughts, and so much is going on that we have no idea. This is such it's such a this this isn't like so. Thank you for coming. This, this that was whole, this, this was whole fun. thing has been so like pseudo intellectual and up ourselves. Like <laughs> I, I I picture my girlfriend listening to this and just afterwards just being like, "Oh, Avery, you're so smart, aren't you? <laughs> oh my goodness, you think such deep things. Oh, fuck off, Avery." And uh, yeah, I'm very I'm I'm happy that we've talked about all this yeah. stuff. And I know that some people will think it's a very interesting and smart conversation. At the same time, I know that everything I've said has been said much better by other people. And no, but I, uh, I, I've not even thought of this as necessarily intellectual. I've just thought of if I was the listener of this, I, 
you know, without being where I am or just me five years ago listening, that's just... I would connect so hard with a lot of it because I, as a person, have been like, mm. oh my God, that's me too. I have the same thing. Or, you know, and maybe I, I mean, my ideal outcome is someone tweeting me saying they feel the same way about fruit because I felt mm. very alone with that thought for quite a while. <laughs> someone else seeing blueberries as the actual enemy. And I think that's, that's very necessary. So what I wanted to ask you as, mm-hmm. oh yeah, we've run over a bit. Sorry about that. Um, so if you, and I ask this to, to the people where it feels relevant, If you could, if you saw yourself as a baby, teeny mm. tiny baby, uh, you just come out and um, everything's scary and terrifying and the lights and sounds and you were used to being in the womb where it was so comfortable and nice and then you come out and, and you're seeing yourself and you know it's terrifying and you know that life from now on is going to be as terrifying and just in other ways. It won't be light, it'll be something else and it'll be scary and horrible. But you get to say something to this baby. It doesn't have to be an advice. It doesn't have to be... It's just you, you want to say something that makes the baby just a bit more comfortable with mm-hmm. what's going to happen from now on. What would you say to the baby? I would say everything really is terrible. Like you're going to go through a lot of stuff that will make you feel really, really awful. And especially in the early years, like eventually, like a couple decades into it, things will maybe even out a bit. But early childhood, adolescence, all that stuff, it's gonna be it's gonna be a, a nightmare. And your brain is already predisposed to react negatively to those things. And you're gonna yeah, deal with depression. It's it's just gonna be awful. A lot of your life is you're gonna feel like it's terrible and you're gonna be on the the darker side of of feelings. But there will be occasional moments where you're laughing or you're just uh, touching someone for the first time and getting a tingle up your spine or just even watching like a really good TV. Like the, this, this whole universe is a nightmare and everything about it is bad and you're being born into a time that is functionally the best time to be alive but also the twilight of the human race and you've you've it's going to be terrible but there will just be tiny little things that are good and they will be worth it because there's no other option but for them to be worth it there's nothing before life there's nothing after life all you've got is this terribleness and the only other option is not existing so you're going to have to you're going to have to just bear with the terribleness look for those little tiny bits of of good thing and also the the carbon tipping point will be passed global warming and massive climate change is a certainty it is highly likely in a hundred years humans won't be around anymore there's nothing anyone can do to stop it at this point unfortunately and so the only thing anyone can do is try and make the slow death of our race as as nice and easy as and comfortable as possible so look look for that comfort in your own life and try and give that comfort to as many people as possible yeah that's it 
Would you have given her a better punchline for Stalin Patrol? No, I would have just said just stop after the first joke. <laughs> Thank you so much. What's your Twitter and website and stuff? Uh, my Twitter account is the best one. It's uh, twitter.com slash Edison, and there are links there to uh, everything good I've ever done and no links to the bad stuff. I bury it. I bury it deep. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. I love her. She's so great. Thank you for listening. Um, we now have a Facebook page. So if you go to Facebook and you search for the Made of Human podcast, you should find it. It uh, I'll put up the episodes and stuff, and it's very, very lovely. So go and find that. Twitter at Podmo, P-O-D-M-O-H. Uh, Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Mopod, M-O-H-P-O-D. And uh, I, oh, please go and give it five-star rating on iTunes. That means the most. Uh, I should have said that in the beginning of this, but I forgot because I was too busy rambling about stuff that you probably skipped over, and I don't blame you. So uh, go and give us a five-star rating. That would mean so, 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 so much. Uh, do that on iTunes. That would be brilliant. And I think the most important thing is to... Because you just listened to this episode, and... Um, I when when we recorded it, it's it stuck with me. I mean, it really is, it was it, it was in my body for days, and I was really um, there was like a heavy a heaviness and like a um, realness to it that I mean I can't blame you if you need a few hours or maybe days to just you know. So so what I want to say is, uh, and I cannot state this enough: deep breaths, you know, deep breaths down into your stomach and then hold it and then let go again out through your mouth that means um that's very very important very important have a good life goodbye bye 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 <laughs>